Welcome to another edition of the Royal of the Lions UK podcast, episode number 88, Eating Bagels. My name's Matthew Turner, alongside co-host Ryan, and returning for the first time this season, I think, Tom Wilkinson. How are you doing, boys? Good, how are you? Yeah, yeah well. uh, it's, um, it's been a long one. How have you been, Tom? It's been a long time. Yeah, I know. Last time we spoke, the Lions hadn't lost a game this season, so <laughs> times they are changing. No, I'm good, though. I'm good. I, I tell you what, I have oddly enjoyed this season so far, considering our record. I think that's the same with a lot, a lot of Lions fans. But um, yeah, there's been there's been a lot of positives to go with some quite clear negatives. So there's something sadistic about this. Uh, it's not sadistic, masochistic about this Lions season, isn't there? <laughs> like enjoying the pain of the season. Yeah, no, but it looks good. Like getting whipped, but no, it feels great. <laughs> If you expect a dumpster fire and you see any kind of positivity, that's good enough. That's good yeah. enough for me right now. Genuinely is happening. How are you doing, Ryan? I'm good, thank you, mate. I'm good, thank you. I'm how... enjoying I'm enjoying the last week or two anyway. It's been good fun. How was LA? LA was great. Great people, great city, great stadium to a degree, but it's got its problems it's a bit strange it's too long to kind of go into on here but um kind of basically got to go all the way up to like level eight to go all the way down to level one to get to your seats and walk all the way around the stadium so it's like for a five billion dollar stadium it's a little bit strange how they managed to uh, work that out and even the staff there do not have a clue of where to where you've got to be going and everything like that so it's a complete nut house but we were well, 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 welcome there by the uh, Rams World Order tailgate. We had a great time there. So um, that was really a special occasion. And just seeing people you haven't seen for a few years as well, it's, it's always great. And, uh, you know, catching up with old friends and thankfully we'll be doing it again. And, and I'll get to introduce them to you as well when uh, Thanksgiving Touchwood. Touchwood. America opening up properly in a couple of weeks' time. I'm, you know, keeping everything crossed with our own COVID situation, we might lock down before then, so God knows, but I hope, I hope not, please God. Um, one thing I did hear about the SoFi that I thought was really interesting is that if you pay enough, they fence you off from the poor people in the stadium. Like, I found this really bizarre, but like, if you're in the cheap seats, you literally have like checkpoints in the stadium that you can't get past because it's like barricaded with guards or something like that. I was like, this sounds like yeah. a concentration camp of some kinds where football happens, so it's a lovely one, but it sounds a bit weird. Yeah, yeah, you, you, you know, it's uh, you, you're to a degree kind of right in in a way that they will, they do have people stopping you from getting within the kind of expensive seats. Somehow, I actually managed to find my way into virtually like a a lounge by accident because, like I said, the staff there were absolute stupid, mate. So you could probably easily, you know get your way down there but um we um you're right they they do like checking and stuff like that uh so yeah it's uh 
you know, if you because obviously, like you say, a lot of people from the higher tiers will want to try and jib down and have a better seat, but uh, they are quite on it for that anyway. I'd say that much, but I had decent seats in end zone. I don't usually sit in the end zone, but that's where we were all congregating for this one, so it felt right um, to do it, and it was a good, good, good laugh. I even got my picture in the Detroit Free Press paper, so you know, it's I not don't know. bad, is it? It's not bad. How did it feel? First quarter, we score the touchdown, then we go for the onside kick, and then the fake punt all in the first quarter. You guys must have been giving the Rams hell. Everyone was. Everyone. It was just. A, it was. It was. It puts a smile on your face thinking about it because it was so much fun. It was just. You know. It was like playing, watching Madden or playing Madden, and everything you do comes off. You know. It's. It's just like. It was just Madden football, basically. And yeah, it was quite funny because like the guy I uh, was sitting with, he's really knowledgeable. And I kind of, I said it straight away, that Swift had gone. I go, this is a touchdown. He's a touchdown here. And um, it was just brilliant because obviously it was kind of like a long run in a way as well after the catch. So, you know, um, it was, the place was just rocking. And by the way, it was full of Detroit Lions fans there. There was, lit, lit, I mean, I, honestly, I think that it, it could have been half and half, maybe. It was that many Lions fans there. And for a fact, the Rams pump in noise into their stadium because their fans do not get up and do nothing. I mean, they're spoiled there in LA, obviously, because uh, they had to pump, they don't even sit. Uh, their team was on third down and they weren't getting up. They were telling a few of my mates in front of me to sit down. <laughs> on their third, like trying to get like, you know, the Lions off the field on third down. So that sums up the rounds. But, you know, we did have a great time at the tailgate. So really good fun. So much to talk about, really. But uh, it's mostly, you know, as they say, football's kind of family and they bring you in. They make you feel like that. So it's a case of um, once you get to meet them, you guys will love them the way I love them. So, you know, it makes, makes supporting the Lions a hell of a lot better. I'd say that much. Sounds great. Can't wait to get out there for a game one day. I wish I'd gone. Um, but, you know, some people get fortunate with a preferential visa, you know. There we go. Right. Um, don't forget to hit up our Discord channel. It's fairly new. Lots of chat on there through game day and through the week about football, sports, life, and pretty much everything. DM's open. Hit us up for a link for that. Uh, college football podcast happened last night. I was filling in for Anne. We were talking about a huge range of fixtures from week eight, as well as looking forward to Saturday's blockbuster fixture coming up university of michigan at msu both seven and oh both top 10 ranked teams it's the first time that these two teams have met up in this scenario ever this scenario has never happened before so you may have seen the stat that said that they hadn't met up undefeated as top 10 teams since 1964 they've never met up as seven and oh or better teams in that scenario ever Saturday, noon in the States, 5pm in the UK, because the clocks haven't quite changed by that time yet. If you want to watch that game, it's probably, well, it's the biggest game in Michigan this weekend, potentially, shall we say. Uh, but the second biggest game in Michigan this weekend is Lions-Eagles, and we're going to get into that in a moment. But now we'll go on to the news just for a second. Uh, don't forget to like and sub on the video, on our channel, what have you, I won't bore you with that. Guard Tommy Crane has been signed from the practice squad to the active roster. Um, presumably, he is replacing the move to injured reserve for Logan Stenberg, which came out of the blue. I'm not sure whether we've disclosed yet what the injury is. So, you know, that, that kind of came out of nowhere. Darrell Worley has been released from the main roster, but re-signed to the practice squad, as has tackled Darren Paolo. 
Uh, MMQB have brought out their power rankings, and unlike everyone else who's ranked us 30 to 32, they've ranked us 18th in the NFL on their power rankings. And the theory goes, and I mean, go with this one, and I kind of like it. If you're not in the playoffs, you don't matter. Like, you're in the top 14, and then there's everyone else to the bottom 18. So from the bottom 18, who do you like for next season? And well, the guy said, basically, the Lions' trajectory is all the way up. The coaching staff are right, and they're finding out who their players are, and they're going to launch into the stratosphere next season. You know, we love what they're doing. Um, which is perhaps slightly insightful compared to shit winners team 30-32. There you go. No thought required. So, you know, it's an interesting one. And um, new news from today, Dave Fipp. The special teams coordinator has contracted COVID-19. He's not necessarily ruled out of Sunday's game as yet because we believe he's fully vaccinated, which means two clear tests and he'll be able to go. And he can do that Friday, Saturday or Saturday, Sunday. But given he's got COVID on Thursday, it seems kind of unlikely. And there might be further consequences in terms of if there's any close contacts or... Everything else you have to, you know, care about. The Lions have been one of the best teams in the league in terms of making sure that cases are isolated. So there is hope there. Um, there's some actual news to talk about this week, boys. The MMQB one is, is for sure, for me, the most surprising and, and amusing. What do you guys think on that? The Lions are the 18th most promising team in the league. So it's too much. Uh, let's just start there. As in, I love it and I love what they're trying to do and... Like I say, when you just see teams almost just in order of record, it feels like people are mailing it in with kind of a pretty shit paragraph just explaining where teams are in the season. So I like the fact they've done something different with it. I don't believe it in the, I think 18th is just too punchy. But I do like, I think it's nice to see some national media optimism with the direction of the Lions because let's go back to week two and three the Lions had only lost a couple of games, but the national media was still absolutely slamming Dan Campbell and everything about the Lions. That's really starting to turn a bit, I think. I think the performance this week this week just gone and other things, we're starting to see a bit more um, positivity around the Lions, which is refreshing, let's be honest. So whilst 18 for me is just way too high um, and realistically we're looking at another top five draft pick, um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it even if I didn't believe it. Yeah, I mean it's it's an interesting one. I mean, I I think it's uh, def we're definitely for sure not 18th, but um, you know it's there are there has been a lot of positives and and you can you know people have everyone's favourite team this year other than their own is the Lions for some reason because like you know everyone keeps on saying one thing about them is that they're not 18 that um, should be 0 and 7 that you know and when you look at it we've turned we really only had two disappointing games this year that was probably the bengal's and the bears so you know i think overall um there is a lot of positivity for next season going into it especially with them being the second youngest team in the nfl they're fighting they're working hard um you know there's going to be mistakes um of course there is but um i think that that defense has been kind of carrying the team the last few few weeks as well and and but you know you see players like swift giving their absolute all really like you know had a great game the other day I felt and on on Sunday and last Sunday so there's so much positives there and and there is you know it's 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 going it's kind of trending in that right direction but obviously the we need superstar players to come in here with the free agency in the summer and uh 
obviously um, draft picks are going to be vital because that's how you rebuild your squad for the long term anyway. Yeah, I'm feeling the positivity. I don't know whether 18th is fair because I kind of think what they're saying is that there's three teams outside the top 14 that are threatening the wildcard spots and everyone else is a bust and the Lions are the best of them, which is, it seems like a bit of a reach, really. But I kind of am here for it a little bit. Like, I, I wouldn't put us too far away from this because if you have a look at a load of the teams that are below us on that list, they are guys on the precipice of the playoffs, on the way down, or they're bad getting worse. There's not actually many ascending teams in that list, but I think you can identify us as definitely one of them. You have a look at the Bears. They are going from mediocre to horrific very quickly. You have a look at someone like the Vikings. No matter what happens this season, they're at risk of tanking in the next couple of years. You know, there's teams that are you know, balls to the wall on the cap who are going to really struggle next year, even with the cap going up because they've backloaded so many contracts. They're going to be in cap hell again next year, even though the cap might go up $25 or whatever it's going to be. So I think we're in a really good place. Like, whisper it quietly, but I think we're going to be really good. Anyway, COVID, fingers crossed. Fuck off at our building. Um... <laughs> We're facing the Eagles, and let's talk about them now. They are 2-5. and five. I haven't seen the injury report go up as yet for them for Thursday. But for Wednesday, they had a few did-not-practices. Seven, in fact. Um, JJ Arcega-Whiteside, the wide receiver. You had J Javon Hargrave, the D-tackle, who's had a terrific year so far. Anthony Harris, the former Viking at safety. He did not practice. Neither did Zach McPherson in the corner, Miles Sanders, the running back, or Devonta Smith, the wide receiver, and then Fletcher Cox had a veteran day and did not practice. And then four limiteds as well. Jack Anderson, the uh, interior offensive lineman, was limited with a hamstring. Lane Johnson, the tackle, had a rest day. Uh, Jason Kelsey, the center, was limited, but that wasn't a rest day. He's got a foot, well, half a rest day, but he's got a foot problem as well. And Ryan Kerrigan has a groin issue and it was only limited. So... You know, they are pretty banged up. But on the Lions side of things, we have five limited guys on Wednesday. Flowers, Hawkinson, Parker, Swift and Cabinda. That's oh, right, four limited guys. Cabinda was full practice. And then we learned on Thursday that Parker and uh, Jerry Jacobs did not practice. So as much as the Eagles are under pressure on the injury report, who are we playing at corner? Because I think Daryl Worley has a real chance of getting elevated this week, and that is not good. What do you think, guys? I mean, we could be... Is it Mark Gilbert? Who's the... Yeah, I mean, he could be in line for a start, which is... You know, it's a real shame because Jerry Jacobs, I know, has given up plays, but when you saw Bobby Price take those first couple of games and he looked about as raw as you could imagine for an NFL player... Jacobs has clear physical limitations. However, he's been feisty. Technically, he's been pretty sound. He's actually looked really good in a number of ways for such a young player. It's a shame if he's going to miss out. It's obviously a shame for the Lions, but as in it's a shame for a player that I feel like has been stringing a few things together. Now, Gilbert, I have absolutely nothing. And maybe that just means we manage expectations and like if he does anything half decent, great, but... I don't even know. I don't know anything about him as a player, to be honest. And therefore, I don't really know. I don't really know what we can expect from someone like that. 
you guys don't know it and I definitely don't. So, you know, we could move on from that one quite quickly. But yeah, I mean, it's always been a problem position, hasn't it? And unfortunately, and it's, um, I actually saw something saying that we're going to be probably most likely picking up the cornerback if we get around the third pick in the draft. But, you know, I can't even tell you his name. So there's no point uh, guessing that. But yes, yeah, so it's always been a problem um, kind of position. I wonder with the trade deadline looming soon, will there be maybe someone that they go in for to kind of help us just get through the season? So, because, um, you know, there's a few winnable games still left. I mean, a lot of people don't seem to think there are, but I believe there's a good chance we'll still pick up another three or four wins possibly here. But, um, you know, we're going to need personnel there to help them get there. So, you know, it's, it's fingers crossed whoever comes in is ready to, ready for the task at hand and gets it done. Yeah, I mean, just to fill you in a bit on Gilbert, he was someone who, you know, really kind of balled out in high school, as a lot of prospects do. He was uh, the Cape Fear Area Basketball Player of the Year by the Lafayette, uh, the, the Fayetteville Observer, apparently. He went to Duke. He was a top 40 national cornerback prospect. Uh, he had 18 tackles, two for loss, two pass breakups and 12 appearances as a freshman. And then he was an all AAC selection as a sophomore. He was third in the FBS with six interceptions and ranked eighth with 15 pass breakups. Um, and then he had severe injuries over the next two and a half years, which basically meant he did not play another game. Um, so showed great promise and then really hasn't played a game of football in, in about three years. So... Oh, <laughs> I mean, I think he isn't he related to Darrell Revis? So he's, should we just claim that he's Darrell Revis and run with that? Yeah, yeah, it's Gilbert <laughs> Island. <laughs> maybe, maybe we should sign Revis up there as well. He'll probably come in and do things. I was he forty two now, but he'll be all right. Yeah, I mean, I I have sort of I have a vain hope that because of how good this coaching staff has been. He's been on our practice squad now for at least a couple of weeks, maybe three, um, that they've kind of whipped him into shape a little bit. I do think that he'll probably come off the bench with Price starting um, with Oruarie. But, I mean, who's going to play in the slot? I have no idea. That's going to be a complete wild card. A um, couple of thoughts from Dan, and I don't have... It's quite long, so hang on. Curious for you guys' thoughts. Thinking about the Eagles, I hope you don't fall into the Chicago trap game thinking coming off a great performance against the Rams. With our injury rows, it might help tone down those feelings, trying to find a positive in case Parker and Jacobs are in place. Hopefully we get our first win. Are the Steelers' CBs good? Do they have a type since we got him from their practice spot? Um, I can't really think of any sort of particular Steelers type, but he's only been... Oh, he was a 2021 UDFA. So... I don't think the Steelers type really applies to him. He's not been there long enough to kind of absorb that mentality, I, I don't think. But he has the raw ability. You don't, you know, come third in the FBS in a college season for interceptions without having some raw ability. But, you know, he's going to come with a shed load of mistakes. And that's, you know, to be expected. So can Jalen Hurts and can this stable of wide receivers put pressure on that? I mean, Hurts is not shy throwing the ball deep. Um, but do the Eagles have the guys at wide receivers to take advantage of our weakness cornerback, Tom Ryan? Well, I've been, I, I, I must be mad because I actually think that the Eagles do have a decent wide receiver core, but 
you know, it's, I know that they haven't shown it yet. Uh, and um, is he playing Riga? I, I've, I've always liked Riga for some reason, but uh, he's, you know, he hasn't really turned it on in the NFL level yet. But knowing our luck, he'll probably turn it on on Sunday. But I was actually just thinking there that I'd rather be up against um, against uh, Hertz this weekend than actually up against probably um, the uh, uh, Midshoe Gardner. And that might be another kind of out there kind of comment, but I think Garner's a better quarterback, to be honest with you, and I think they would have more trouble against him this weekend than what we would against Hurts. So we'll just wait and see if we can kind of, you know, stop him from running. I think that we'll we'll probably be okay there. But, you know, I I, I think that we can beat the Eagles this week. I really do. I think that, you know, uh, they we, we might have their number this week, even with the problems that we've got. Yeah, I, I was a big Devontae Smith fan coming out um, this year, and what he did incredibly well at Alabama was effectively splitting levels of the defense, especially on intermediate routes. And that's something which if you look at how the Lions coped about against Cooper Cup, a slightly different type of receiver, but it was those intermediate routes where he really killed us. So if if they are smart offensively, I think Smith could have a big game. Um, obviously, Hurt should like him. They've got history. I mean, their offense hasn't graded out particularly poorly. But they've got a horrible record and seemingly fans are head in hands right now. So, um, yeah, I think they've got talent. I think Goddard's going to be a problem as well. I'm sure we'll come on to it in a minute. But um, they definitely have the guys to go up against our kind of um, third choice, fourth choice guys starting in the secondary. Now, our new our system this year is slightly more helpful to guys on the outside because often you're playing two safeties deep, giving them a bit more help. But, yeah, I, I think it could be... It could be a tough ride and we need second level guys to really step up. So Anzalone has been brilliant the last couple of weeks. Barnes making a next step. Reeves Maven uh, continuing some of his positive form, although it's been a bit hit and miss. Um, those are the guys, I think, if they have big games, we can shut the offense down. If they don't, we can get picked apart. Yeah, definitely. What so, is it? Sorry. Is it, is it, is it a, I think it's kind of like amazing from what I saw. I think it's correct. It's something like... Um, the 27th-ranked defence in the Eagles against the 28th defence-ranked in the Lions. And then I think offensively, it's something like a 30th to the Eagles and 31. So I don't know how that's going to pan out. That's going to be an interesting one. Probably a, probably a 3-0 kind of game. Weakness on weakness game. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, why receivers for Philly looking down the PFF grades? Top-ranked player at the moment is Quez Watkins, um, who apparently is graded out very well, although I must admit I don't know a huge amount about him. I know he's caught a couple of touchdowns. I had pro football reference up for a moment and now I don't anymore. Um, so, Quez Watkins. He, he was 2020 drafted. I remember watching him at the Senior Bowl. Mm. Um, <laughs> remember watching him at the Senior Bowl. I want to say he was like a fifth or sixth rounder. He was kind of a, um, he, he didn't excel at anything in particular, but he just looked pretty solid, to be honest. And I remember watching, um, watching the senior ball and he did some nice things. And he's kind of been their star receiver in inverted commas this season. Obviously, Devontae Smith's come in with all the hype, but Quez through the preseason had a really good few games and then he's carried it into the regular season. So a guy that they probably didn't even expect to necessarily be on the roster now being one of their top receiver threats is is not great, but I mean you can look at it in both ways, right? It's it's nice to be able to pick up a guy they were expecting nothing from, and uh, him now be leading them, I guess. 
Yeah, so he's got the highest um, completion percentage um, of any wide receiver, obviously, ignore the running backs and the tight ends, but 18 on 26, 348 yards, an average of 19 yards per reception and a long of 91. So, you know, he's been about a bit, but the other guys in there, you've got, as you mentioned, Devonta Smith, who's had a cracking year so far in his first season. Jalen Rager has threatened to deceive at times, but he's continued to actually disappoint. Um, you know, he's got all the tools. It's so frustrating watching him play because I don't understand what it is about this guy that doesn't translate to the NFL, but it hasn't done so far. Any any ideas, Tom? In terms of Hurts? In terms of Rager. Oh, in terms of Rager, yeah. So, I mean, because he was a late first-round pick, I, I mm. seem to remember, right? And there was yeah. a lot of... He went a little bit higher than expected out of TCU, I think. Uh, he went ahead of some guys... Uh, there was a lot of receiver depth in that kind of late one, early two round. But yeah, he just doesn't seem to put have put it together. And I feel like some of the reports coming out of camp this year was they feel like he doesn't really want it either. He wasn't really putting in the work in. I feel like he got benched early, a bit similar to Brandon Ayuk, who um, another talented guy who was a late one. Guys who clearly have athletic gifts, but don't seem to want to put in the work. Uh, maybe unfair. Like I say, I've got limited um, knowledge when it comes to Rager, but he's an exciting player. He's exactly the kind of guy that you've got to account for because he can take the top off the defense. So, um, yeah, he's a threat, even if he's inconsistent. Let me done run you down the rest of their offensive stats and, and general stats. They're two and five, but their expected win loss per PFR is 2.9 to 4.1. So potentially they've been unlucky with their record so far. 1,617 passing yards is 21st, 10 passing touchdowns is 19th, and four interceptions is 9th. So they keep care of the ball pretty well, despite Hertz's reputation for turning the ball over, and that's more in relation to his fumbles. Uh, 6.3 net yards per attempt is 22nd. In terms of rushing the ball, 817 yards is 14th, 8 touchdowns is 9th, and 5 yards per attempt is 4th in the NFL. So extremely efficient running the ball. And yet, if we have a look at the number of attempts, they've had 164 rushing attempts, and their opposition on average have had 227. So, you know, they are being outgunned on the ground in terms of attempts. Uh... Just trying to see if I can see what that is in the NFL. Um, so number of rushing attempts is 30, no, 28 in the NFL. And rushing attempts against is 30 seconds. So for all you hear about the Eagles, and what I said last week is this is a bad matchup for the Lions because their O-line is generally good and their D-line is generally good. And so, you know, that's where we want to dominate. And if they're going to dominate us there, we've got no chance. Well, Teams have run the ball against them very well, and despite the fact that they run the ball very efficiently, they don't do it very often. So, you know, keys to winning the game, don't let them run. Um, on third down, 34 of 85 is 40% for 18th, and fourth down, 4 of 12 is 33% and 28th. In the red zone, they're actually pretty good on offense. 17 of 24 red zone possessions end in a touchdown. 71% is sixth. Quarterback Jalen Hurts, 61% completion rate. 90 passer rating, 38.8 QBR, 14 sacks taken, that's on 5.5% of dropbacks, and rushing the ball, 66 attempts, 361 yards, 5.5 yards per rush, 5 rushing touchdowns, 
and an overall PFF grade of 79. Miles Sanders, I said before, extremely efficient in the ground game, and he, it runs through him. 63 attempts, 300 yards, no touchdowns, and then 19 receptions on 24 throws, 118 rece uh, receiving yards, 6.2 yards per catch, and a PFF grade of 69.6. And then the other offensive weapons we've mentioned, Smith, he's got 406 yards and a touchdown and a PFF grade of 71. And Dallas Goddard, who a lot of people were kind of putting in that bracket next to Hawkinson in the preseason sort of analysis, saying he's around that top five. He's 18 of 24, 286 yards. That's 16 yards per catch. Two touchdowns, PFF grade of 80. Um, it appears clear to me that this team is being miscoached. You know, you cannot run the ball that well and not run the ball very often. It's absolute madness. And it would take the pressure off Jalen Hurts, who, you know, the, the world's being put on his shoulders and he's not quite performing yet. But what's going on, guys? I wonder how much of that has to do with game scripts in terms of maybe falling behind and never feeling like they have to throw it. Because I agree, when you look at their their weapons and especially a dual threat um, quarterback like Hurts, you've got to be running the ball more. Um, obviously, going into this week, I believe Miles Sanders is going to be out or is expected to be out. And so they're going to be running with, with Kenneth Gainwell. But um, I think it's going to come down to what they can get inside the tackles in terms of whether it's Gainwell or anyone else. And then also how well the lines can contain, contain Hurts. So uh, without oversimplifying, if you saw what we did with the Ravens earlier this season, obviously Jackson was coming off a huge game. And we managed to contain him, keep him in the pocket. And actually, the Ravens offense couldn't really get moving. Um, and now we face a lesser powered offense, but it's going to be a similar game plan. It's going to be contain, contain the quarterback, make him beat us with his arm um, and hopefully get pressure quick enough that we're not going to let those receivers get open. So I think it all starts and finishes with Hurts and, uh, and what they can get out of whoever's going to be a running back for them. I do think it's interesting when you look at, I mean, we talk about it plenty. PFF grades are not everything. Um, but Hertz has graded out pretty well. He's graded out at 79. The person directly ahead of him, you may have heard of him, he's called Matty Stafford. Um, and I believe then after that, there's there's kind of guys who you wouldn't expect to be in this same kind of group as Stafford and others. So I feel like I've heard that Hertz is a disaster. He's going to be out of the league. They're going to be looking for a new quarterback. But you know, the, the grading doesn't necessarily agree with that, which leads us back to, to the coaching. And I think when we get onto the defense, there's a lot of fan question marks about um, defensive strategy as well. Mm. It's kind of interesting because, as you say, I mean, like you get people that don't believe in Hurts and, you know, I'm, I'm one of those. I just, I am amazed that he's he's ranking as, as kind of well as, it, as, the, as you're saying he is because I would have put him right down there. I, I kind of rank him in the bracket of like a tour I just don't don't see it with him at all. But, um, you know, I'm not a believer of him. But, you know, obviously we're not watching the Eagles every week, so you don't get to kind of judge it as much. If it was obviously the Eagles, teams of years gone by, then you're watching them virtually every Sunday on the NFL. But, um, yeah, they've got, they've, you know, I completely agree with how, exactly what you said, that it's going to be about containing him, keeping him in there and trying to get him to beat you with his arm. And hopefully that the well receivers ain't on on that day and, and can't beat you. Dallas Goddard's always always been a good player since he's been in the league for them. You know, um, he, he took over the role from Zach Hurts kind of like effort, effortlessly, realistically over the last couple of seasons. So that's no mean feat. And, um, you know, 
I just, I just, I don't know. I agree. I'm not a believer in their coach either. You know, I think if you look at our coach and is it Siriani, is it or something? Their coach or yeah, yeah, no, he, he speaks some weird shit, man. He speaks some weird <laughs> shit. It, it's, 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 he was talking about flowers and roots. I mean, you know, as if like, you know, you're in kindergarten or, you know, primary school over here, you know, it's like, what the fuck are you want about, mate? We all know how, you know, like, but it's, I just not a believer in him either. And, you know, I know that like our, our coach yourself gets a bit of stick, but I'd much rather have Dan Campbell than him. So, yeah, I think as, as, as mentioned by Tom, the um, game plan is similar to a degree to the um, the, the Baltimore Ravens game um, where, you know, they haven't got as good as defence as the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, they haven't got as good offence as the Baltimore Ravens. And they definitely don't have a better special teams than the Baltimore Ravens. So, you look, if we can push them all the way for them to get another record-breaking field goal to beat us, then this one should bode well because they should take a lot of confidence out of that game. Obviously, we've got issues, you know, in the backfield and everything, but... I think that this is a winnable game without a shadow of a doubt. And I think, to be honest with you, they should be really expecting to win this one, especially at Ford Field um, this Sunday. So um, we need it, especially, is it the buy this after this? So we need to we need to get that W, man, and we need to kind of start feeling good because otherwise it can really start to drag if we don't um, pick it up because two back-to-back away games in Pittsburgh and Cleveland are never easy. So, um, you know, we've got to really start getting the move on and getting this W this weekend. I don't know. I fancy us against the Steelers best for another day. Um, one of the things about the most recent game that Philly had um, away in Vegas was that they went ahead early, four minutes into the game. They went 7-0 up. And then exactly three quarters later, they'd scored their next points, having conceded 30 straight. So, you know, the game ended 33-22, but they entered the fourth quarter 30-7 to down. You know, th- this is the sort of thing is... As much as we've heard about Stat Padford all this time, like apparently Hertz's touchdowns, running, passing has all come kind of in garbage time, and we've been used to that sort of accusation. But I don't know. I like Hertz in that I think he's a more talented Drew Lock. Like that's sort of his range to the upper upper second round guy who's a bit boom and bust, but his floor is quite high. I think he's going to deliver you wins because he can win on the ground and you have to account for that and that opens up other things. I mean, I think he's perfectly suited to that sort of run-pass option stuff that Philly used to run back when they won the Super Bowl four years ago. So I think it can work, but you need the right coaching there and you're hitting the nail on the head around with Sirianni. Um, I don't know what he's on about. Like... (laughs) It struck of desperation of a move that they were making for a year and then if they had to can him after one season, no one was going to grumble particularly much, especially like um, Cully in Houston, you know, just a full guy for a bad year where they're going to rebuild and come back stronger out the other side. So that may be totally unfair because I think people thought that of Detroit too. So, you know, I haven't watched every press conference Sirianni's given, but I feel like I've seen enough. I don't want to watch him anymore. I know that. Um <laughs> Let's move on to their defense. He's opening his opening press conference when he when he I know it's not easy and nerves can get the better of anyone, even just doing this at times can get nerve wracking. But it's uh, one of the um you know, I remember his press conference when he joined and it was like, Jesus Christ, man, this needs this guy needs some media. It was it was basically it was no different to when kind of Frank Reich got the job 
in Indianapolis, but the only difference is Frank Wright could show that he could coach from from the off. But um, it's uh, it, you know he didn't know how to talk to the media or anything. But I mean, obviously, it's not for us to kind of judge the Eagles in that way. But you know, I I, I just don't get it. every time I see him talk, it kind of reminds me of me. I don't he doesn't know what he's on about. <laughs> Speaks <laughs> up as he goes along, you know. Oh, right? dear. <laughs> you always put a smile sound. on my face, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's yeah. move on to the defense. Um, they've given up 1,594 passing yards, that's 18 from the NFL, 14 passing touchdowns is 21st, and six interceptions is 11th. So they don't give up much through the air, and they do take the ball away from you, led by Darius Slay, of course. Um, net yards per attempt, six and a half is 18. So, you know, they're not giving up particularly long plays either on average. Against the run, though, this is really interesting. 931 rushing yards is 29th in the NFL. Eight rushing touchdowns is 23rd in the NFL. But yards per attempt is 4.1, which is ninth. So they keep teams to quite a low yards per attempt. And yet they're one of the worst rushing defences out there because it gets run down their throat. Like, defense, uh, offences do not give up rushing the ball at this defence. On third down, they struggle to get off the field. 39 of 87 is 44.8% conversions against 26. On fourth down, they tighten up a bit, but they haven't had many attempts against them, mainly because they give it up on third down. Four of eight is 50% for 14. And in the red zone... It's one of the worst. They give up 19 touchdowns on 26 red zone possessions. 73% is 28th in the NFL. Some of the bigger names out there. I mentioned Javon Hargrave, who's potentially injured, but, you know, he'll probably come back. One force fumble, six sacks, six from an interior defensive line position. 39 tackles, 16 solo, 10 quarterback hits, PFF rate of 65. Fletcher Cox, we all know about. He's been a a game wrecker for many, many years, but on a down season so far, one fumble recovery for a touchdown, 11 tackles, seven solo, one tackle for a loss, three calls back, it's a PFF grade of 63. But Darius Slay is a top-ranked defensive player, two interceptions, three passes defended, 29 tackles, 21 of which solo, 78 PFF grade. It's a defense which can't get off the field, which gets burned over long periods of time, lacks in time of possession because they can't hold on to the ball and teams run it down their throats. And what can we do well? This should be a game that is set up for us, boys. This is, based on what we've seen so far and what you're hearing about from Philly media and this very standoffish defense where they're letting everything go in front of them to, to prevent the explosive plays, but... I mean, that suits the lines perfectly. We don't want to go deep. I think we've had our own frustrations with that, but the dink and dunk offense is what the Lions do well in inverted commas. So I don't think, especially looking at the rest of the schedule, and I don't think we're going 0-17. I'm not sure there's a defense that lines up better for us um, than this week. And not to put everything into this week, like I say, I mean, we're still, the, the Eagles, surprisingly to me, at least are favoured in this game. So we are not the favourites in this game. I think the, the defence lines up really, really nicely for us with that dink and dunk style offence, I think. Um, the, the love for Swift this week has been maybe a little over the top for me personally, but as a receiving threat, he's been fantastic. And their linebackers have been atrocious. Uh, and we know things about atrocious linebacker play. Their linebackers have been awful. So get Swift out in space, make the linebackers work with him. And I think we can really 
we can really do some damage. The, the big question for me, you mentioned Javon Hargrave and Fletcher Cox, like I say, having a bit of a down year, but um, Evan Brown's been fantastic. I think exceeded all expectations so far as a replacement centre. If he can handle Javon Hargrave, then brilliant. I'm not convinced he's going to be able to. And my biggest concern is if that pocket starts to break down and Goff starts dropping to 10, 11 yards depth, that's when the tackles get in trouble. So I don't know if you saw Brandon Thorne did a brilliant piece of analysis on Penny Sewell a week or so ago, talking about when Sewell was giving up sacks, actually a lot of the time he wasn't doing things wrong, but Goff was dropping to 10, 11 yards and no tackle in the league is expected to block a guy out to 10, 11 yards. If we have Hargrave coming up the middle, heavy hands from the one tech and putting Evan Brown back, Goff not being able to step up in the pocket, that's where I think we get in trouble. If Brown holds up against Hargrave, I really think this is where we can have those seven, eight, nine-minute drives. Score touchdowns, as you mentioned, their red, red, uh, red zone defense is weak. And I think we can we can put it together. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you one thing for sure is that one thing that was kind of eluding me from seeing it is that it does take a hell of a long time in the pocket. Um, uh, uh, Goff, I was going to say cop there for some reason. Goff, he just, what was the, what was the one of the last plays there in, in, in LA where it should have been, it should have been a, an easy enough completion. I don't know if it was a fourth down or it was, or it was towards the end of the game. And he just took an extra step back or just took too long to get the ball off. So, you know, obviously there is major problems. And if you, if you take it too long, players like Fletcher Cox, who's been absolutely immense throughout his NFL career, someone that I've like, basically when you play Madden to bring it back to Madden, you always try to trade for because he is just like, you know, just my kind of player. I love guys like him, you know, and uh, he's, he's someone that, you know, every team wants to have. But um, I, I like Josh Schwett. I mean, I don't know he hasn't had the best season. Is he out injured or is he still available for Saturday Sunday? Defensive end for the Eagles? I think he's around. Yeah, I, I mean, he's he, he quite year. Yeah, he's had quite quite a year, but I mean, I think he's a really good player, and obviously Slay up up back at Ford Field for his first time. Um, you know, he'll feel he'll have something to prove, and he'll be on fire no matter what on Sunday. So, but I just think that this is a team that we've got we've got beat, and you know, I think that we can gas them out, as you say, we run the ball pretty well. Uh, the dink and dunk should come into play well here for us as well, especially when we've got really virtually no wide receivers anyway. So it kind of has to. And um, yeah, I think it's going to be one of those where, you know, they're going to go for it every time again on fourth down. So it's going to be going to be an interesting day to try and gas them out, get them tired and hopefully, uh, you know, take over in the last, uh, you know, end of the third to the start of the fourth and win the game. So this is my main question is you say he's going to go for every fourth down and whatever like this. And, you know, he's kind of done that all the way through this year, but he clammed up against the Bears because I feel like he came into this game thinking, well, we should win this. So he got a conservative. And I fear that he's going to go into this game thinking, we've got a shot here, so therefore I'm going to play more sensibly. And really, he should just do the opposite and completely go for it. Like, we're 0-7. That's who we are. Don't worry about who's the other side. Try and win the game by introducing luck into the factor. Like, if you can't win by skill, introducing luck gives you a better chance of winning. And you do that by fakes, by fourth downs, exactly what we did last time. So I think you should just go for it. I hear what you're saying about it being a good matchup, but 
part of me thinks that this Eagles team is just slightly better than we are, even if they're coached much worse. So, well, take a chance. But I, will he do that? Uh, one thing I think he made a mistake on the other week against the because sometimes it's not always the easiest to tell, but when you're when you're actually even at the game, but didn't he like put Swift in in like a like you know on a couple of fourth down runs? Or one fourth down run, and it should it was miles better for for the, uh, Williams to, to go and take it. You know, it was it was a bit of a strange one. I don't know if Kabinda's back this week. Hopefully, like you know, he they should have a couple of plays up their sleeve for him, especially in in those kind of uh, positions. But I think he's going to stay stay aggressive. You can't go into the bye week eight and oh. I mean, it's just it's you know it's. It can't happen. This has to be a win this week. The Lions have to figure a way to get it. So they'll have plenty of tricks up their sleeve to get them out of sticky situations, I think. So they'll just, be uh, they'll be gun ho again. Just looking at the injury report, it's come out for the Eagles since we've been talking. A couple of interesting things. Miles Sanders, again, did not practice today. So that's absolutely massive. Another big thing, Ryan Kerrigan, downgraded from limited, did not practice. Zach McPherson, again, did not practice. The rest of the guys were either limited or full practice. So JJ Arcega, Whiteside, now limited instead of did not practice. Javon Hargrave was limited instead of did not practice. Anthony Harris, the same. Lane Johnson upgraded to full practice, as was Jason Kelsey, Jack Anderson, Fletcher Cox, participated in full. Um, but a new entrant, Landon Dickerson, their centre drafted first round this bottom. No, top of the second. Yeah, top of the second, I think. Top of the second, limited with a hip. So that's going to be interesting, especially against our interesting assortment of uh, nose tackles that we've got. So, you know, um, I I'm, I'm had an argument on our, our channel, Discord channel, about how good John Penasini has been this year so far. He is effectively splitting snaps with um, our new draftee, Aline McNeil. And quietly, quietly, is potentially having a better year than Aline McNeil. Now, McNeil obviously has the higher ceiling. McNeil has pass rushing upside that John Penasini doesn't. But I think Penasini has been more effective on the ground. He's actually shown a little bit of pass rushing upside that we haven't seen from him before. So no centre for the Eagles, if Dickerson continues to struggle, is, is going to be an interesting matchup, especially when they're running the ball so much. And if Miles Sanders isn't available to go, then my fantasy side is going to see a boom because I think they're going to run with Kenneth Gamewell, who is a 2021 draftee as well, I think, who's actually had a good year so far. So, Yeah, rookie out of Memphis, but more of a pass-catching guy, I believe. So um, probably less of a threat there. I mean, if Dickerson's out, that's it's definitely a, it's a knock to them because I believe they're playing Kelsey at centre, Dixon left guard, and then... Maialata at left tackle, who we should shout out because international player pathway, absolutely love what he's doing. So um, amazing there. But Kelsey's well, amazing having that a seventh round pick gets as much money as he got, right? Sixth or seventh round pick? I can't remember. Yeah, it's seventh round. And also, again, slight sidetrack. I don't remember if you remember Mobo, Moritz Boehringer, um, picked by the Vikings in the sixth round. There are There were questions behind the scenes as to how legitimate that draft pick was given um, the buzz around it and obviously expanding to international markets. There was no favourable treatment when it came to Mylata. He was on the international player pathway. He was a legitimate draft pick. And now he's turned it into a 10 plus million dollar contract uh, a year. So absolutely incredible from that from that side. He's a beast in the run game. 
ex um, ex rugby player, six eight three thirty, uh, just a monster. So you've got him, you've got Kelsey Centre, Dickerson's out. I worry about that left side of the line getting pushed. So if Dickerson is out, that's that's a good thing for us. Hopefully to to send some of our interior rush uh, against their replacement left guard. So let's talk more specifically about the matchups. Their secondary led by Darius Slay. Dan asks, does he get a pick? And if yes, who's he picking off? Which I think is being slightly facetious. Um, but more more wider, uh, more wider, more widely than that, you've got Avante Maddox, who's also had a great year in their secondary. They've got Stephen Nelson, who we know has had a good career to date so far. Um, but as you said, their linebackers have been really poor. If you have a look at our wide receiving court, it's not exactly set the world on fire, but you've got um, Raymond coming off a career day. First time he's got over 100 yards in a game and actually looks every part of the player that we hoped he'd be when he came over that we were told he could be, but he'd never shown it before. And Goff actually trusted him. Can can we get the ball to him? Who's Slay going to be marking? Is Slay going to do what Ramsey did and effectively man Mark Hopkinson? which was an interesting way of stopping him getting the ball. If they don't do that, is, is Hock going to be the one that dominates over the middle against a linebacker or a safety? I mean, Harris has not done well so far, and potentially he's been slightly injured, so that's not helped him. But it's a hard one to call this secondary against this wide receiving core in terms of which one's worse. So... I mean, talent-wise, they're so far ahead of our receivers, right? But to your point, Harris hasn't put it together at all. Um, Big free agent signing. He's been pretty disastrous, to be honest, on the back end. And they're not getting pressure either, which puts a lot of strain on the secondary. Now, I'm not sure Slay is going to travel with Hawk. Um, I think they may just play him at left corner and want him to play a lot of zone and and kind of get his eyes on Goff and, and wait for a mistake. Um, it would make complete sense if they did, especially as we talked about their linebackers have struggled, their safeties have struggled. Um, but I don't think there's a particular matchup other than Swift in space and Hawkinson if they don't double team him. There are two guys, and that's kind of obvious, right? We knew that coming in, they're the strength of our offense, but I don't think there's any real receiver matchup which plays out nicely for us. And therefore, a lot of it has to come down to to play calling and what Anthony Lincoln did. Fair enough. I mean, are there any other matchups or keys to the game which you guys see as particularly important if the Lions are to pull out a win here? So the offense is going to run through Swift and Hawk, which we've kind of preached all season. I mean, for myself, and I've said this all season, and I really hope it comes true, apart from using Kabindamore, which they absolutely must do, they said in preseason, we've got some design plays for him. He dropped the first one. And they've only gone to him another couple of times, and otherwise he's kind of been injured. But they haven't really trusted him, and I want to see a little bit of trust for friend of the pod. Um, but otherwise, use Williams in the passing game. Because I know Swift may be better, but Swift is also more obvious at this point. Williams had the ma- not majority, but a, a large portion of his yards at Green Bay through the air because he was RB2. And actually, he was very, very effective there. And he came in, and all the fanfare was, this is not just a running back, this is a guy who can do it through all three phases. He can block, he can catch, and he can run. And we've seen the running element of it, and we've seen the blocking element of it. 
but he's hardly been trusted in the past game, and I think it would, I think it would keep defenses more honest. Williams has rushed the ball. So in the last game, he had 20 snaps, and on those 20 snaps, he ran the ball 14 times. So 70% of the time he was on the field, he ran the ball. And 50% of the time, that was um, between uh, the A gap and the B gap on the left-hand side. So, you know, 35% of the time he's on the field, that's where the ball's going. And the rest of the times, it's between tackles. He doesn't really bounce it outside. It's predictable. And, you know, this coaching staff on the Philly side is not particularly good. But are, are we crediting them with being absolute fools? I don't think so. You know, it doesn't take a genius for this to work out because I'm talking about it right now and the stats are there. And this is the sort of thing where I don't think the stats particularly lie. We've seen Williams and everyone's coming out thinking, well, this guy's a power back. And it's like, but he's so much more than that and we've limited him. So keep the offense... Uh, their defense unbalanced by being less predictable, and we did that on special teams, and we, you know, we did that with a couple of other facets of the game. But our base offense is still as predictable as it ever was. So keep keep defenses off balance, run the ball, stick with Williams a bit longer. I mean, 20 snaps on the field to Swiss 52 is not as balanced as I'd like. Um, what about you guys? Keys to keys to win or things you'd like to see it'd probably be nice to just see them actually you know just kind of basically tire him out you know with with really just giving him in a way maybe the lion's share of the runs this week you know it just really give him you know giving the ball giving the ball giving the ball you know technically as you say that we're kind of you know quite predictable on what we're going to do so let's you know let's just do what we're good at and and get him the ball in the positions where he can make a make a difference so I don't know I think it's going to come down to to Williams and it's going to come down to uh Swift again on Saturday on Sunday so you know just give your best players the ball and, and hope that they can make something happen I mean it's a it's a good uh you know uh o-line in front of them so you know just 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 make sure we just hammer it down their throat and get them knackered and and hopefully wear them out and get them off the field because I like you say they struggle on third downs uh you know unfortunately we do as well so you know it's going to come down to those third down kind of plays and uh getting your best players the ball so it's either him Hawkinson or Williamson uh Swift Williamson or Hawkinson they're going to be getting it let's be honest and um just use them as much as you can and just you know they've got a week off after so let's just hammer it hammering the ball with them and just try and grab out that win grind out that win Especially if we get if we get up in the game. So I feel like I saw on the broadcast the Rams game. It was the first time that we had the ball with a lead. I think all season, which is kind of hilarious. Um, but if we are in a situation where we do have a lead against the Eagles, um, I think that's where that's where you start giving Williams the ball. I mean, he was barreling through guys um, inside the tackles when he does have the ball. I think when we're chasing the game, Swift is obviously a stronger receiving threat, so I get it more. But yeah, I, I would like to like to see more of it. Um, another guy who this is my under the rated um, revenge game. So everyone talks about Slay. Although I've really like Slay was my favorite Lions player when he was there. This is a Slay jersey, so I'm glad that it's all relatively amicable with him coming back. He said lots of nice things about Detroit, etc. Underrated revenge game is a different Williams, Milton Williams. Do you remember in the draft this year? So. The Eagles were picking up whatever number and they traded out with the Lions. 
thinking that Aline McNeil seemingly was going to be there a few spots later because we'd already taken a tackle. We go and take McNeil and there's that wonderful um, piece of video footage of just like the most negativity you've ever seen in a draft room when they go and take Milton Williams instead. I would love it if Milton Williams took that incredibly personally and just went on a bit of a solo rampage this week against the Lions. Um, I obviously don't want him to do too much damage, but yeah, underrated revenge game for a guy who has been pretty awful so far this year, but talented guy out of Louisiana Tech as a rookie. It'd be, be a funny story if he does turn it up this week. I think I, I mean, remember that. Wasn't that when they, um, like, they'd done like the high fives and uh, is it Harry Roseman or whatever? The, yeah. the, and and like, one of the old boys is there going like that, like, you know, at the camera or something like that. Yeah, Roseman's like, going around like, trying to high five everyone. Everyone else yeah. is like, like what's go away. On? It's like that annoying guy at a party. You're like, just leave me alone, bud. <laughs> I don't really like you. Get away from me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, all I remember that. about Milton Williams is his Braz score was off the chart. Um, I'm trying to find it now, but it was... He was a crazy athlete. Uh, he has a 9.96 round score. Um, his weakest thing was his height. He's only 6'3". Um, but he was ranked as a defensive end, and I think he's more of a D-tackle, at least at this level. Um, he has a 6.963 cone as a, as a defensive end. 4-3-3 shuttle. He runs a 4-6-7 40-yard uh, dash that way for 284. He uh, has a broad jump of 10 foot 1 and a vertical 38 and a half. So the guy's mad. 34 reps on the bench as well. Like, he's a mad, mad athlete, but it hasn't translated so far this year. He's seen limited snaps, and when he has been on the field, he's not been particularly good. So... I, I think you're wrong. I hope you're wrong, Tom, but it, I can see it. I can see it for sure. Um, Dan has just chipped in saying that he'd love to see a bit more swift and swaggy on the field together. Careful. You're going to trigger SW Lion coming into the chat. Um, he, he's been on that train all season long, and I'm here for it. I mean, the stats bear out that we've had a much higher average yards per play when there are two running backs on the field. Um, and I don't care whether that's two line up in the backfield and Swift motions out to the slot, because that just seems like a really good idea. Or Williams motions out to the slot. If you have, I don't know, three wide and two backs, or two wide with Hawk split out into the into one slot, and then the one of the other running backs motions out to the other slot, like, that sounds like a matchup nightmare for defences. Now, can you protect Goff in that scenario? Well... Sounds right for a draw play as well. But, you know, like, there's so much you can do with Williams and Swift in the backfield. Never mind Jermar Jefferson, who still hasn't really seen any snaps. But Ant will tell you, is threatening to break out any day now. Um, I want to see more invention. I want to see us putting our best on their worst. as what Dan Campbell promised us when he came in. And he's not been ambitious enough with it yet, for my liking. Although I like a lot of what I've seen so far. Uh, anything else you guys want to bring up before we wrap up here? Um, well, I like that comment, by the way, because you're right. He did promise that we'll go out, we'll, we'll, you know, go after their weaknesses, basically, like, you know, hunt hunt the weakest in the pack. So you're right. That's a, it's a fair comment. So, um, uh, you know, completely agree. And one thing I'd just like to add, maybe slightly off the topic, but good luck to Martin and Louise. 
this weekend because I believe that they're expecting their little one and uh, they should be with us by Saturday. So good luck to them and uh, hope all goes well. And uh, yeah, look forward to welcoming another um, member of the Pride. God bless it. Hopefully it will take a few years for it to realise what it's got itself into. But who knows, by that time, we may even have a Lombardi under our belt. Please, God. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, I know that he's got three baby grows. One's Man United, one's Detroit Lions, and one's Witness Vikings. So the level of child abuse happening in that household is off the chart. Yeah. <laughs> I think Witness are probably the best team at the moment out of them three, ain't they? <laughs> Dear Lord. Yeah, I hope that's not true. Um, yeah, she's being induced on Saturday, so baby's coming. Like, it's happening, it's if, if not before. So, yeah, good luck to them. Um, Tom, do you want to get anything off your chest from the season so far? Because obviously you've not been with us all year. Like, what do you think of how we've done? How do you feel about the coaches, the coordinators, how they've been calling games? Obviously, we've had big injuries. Anyone that you really like the look of? You mentioned Jacobs before. I've absolutely loved what he's done because he's putting himself in the right places, even if the execution isn't 100%. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a few guys. So Melifonwu, actually, when he started, I was really liking what I was seeing from him. Very raw guy. Obviously got injured, etc. I mean, I touched on it at the start. I'm, I'm relatively positive. I think if we just park the massive talent differential between us and the rest of the NFL, I mean, literally us and the rest of the NFL, apart from maybe the Texans and a couple others, I've loved what the coaching staff has done. I've loved the fact that they've been open when talking to the media and, and they've just, it feels like they've brought everyone along for the ride a lot more. It's made it a much more enjoyable experience as a fan. Um, some of the things which the coaching staff have done with limited um, talent, whether it's obviously we talked about, or you guys have talked about Aaron Glenn, but like Aubrey Pleasant behind the scenes, obviously there was the big flare up with the CUDA early in the season, but he has got these guys ready in the secondary, guys who potentially shouldn't be on an NFL roster and wouldn't be on many NFL rosters, and he's got them playing good football. So I think coaching staff-wise, there's been a, flu a few glaring misses, Campbell admitting them so um, Ryan you mentioned for example keeping Swift on and him just being like we're going to go do this rather than actually thinking through what they should do but these are the mistakes you want to be making when you're seven games into a season you're not expected to win many games like these are things we want to happen now before we get to next season season after when we can't afford to have those mistakes so in general coaching staff I'm really happy with Goff was exactly who I thought he was going to be so no surprises there um, in general, what I've been watching most on offense, I've been really zeroing in on Sewell. The reason being, I feel like most of the rest of the offense, we kind of know what they're about. We know that Pockerson's a game breaker at tight end. We know Swift's a great receiving threat. Um, Amon Rye, I'd love to see more from this week, just as a kind of last thing for the Eagles. Uh, he's kind of fallen off a little bit. But it's been really interesting watching Sewell week to week and, um, like I say, learning maybe more about offensive line play than I knew before. And there's a lot to like in terms of Sewell over the last couple of weeks. So in general, loads of positives. The draft class looks solid. Love to see a bit more from Levi. Um, but yeah, draft class looks good. Coaching staff looks good. Talent isn't there, but that's okay. Um, and maybe managing my own expectations. I started looking at, at Thibodeau tape uh, as of the last week or two. I don't think we're picking number one, but I know a lot of chat has been, obviously right now we're winless. We're going to be picking number one. We're going to go get Thibodeau, et cetera. I don't think we're going to be picking there, but when you start to think about um, the kind of talent we hopefully can add over the next couple of years, um, the coaching staff we've got in place, I just think there's, there's a lot to be 
positive about if not excited and i would completely understand if lots of people aren't like this is the best thing ever because we're 0 and 7 i'm quite excited but i think there's a lot to be positive about for everyone also a fair thing to say is like you said about Saul, how good was that against Aaron Donald the other day when it was like two Loved big hippos going at each other, man. It was just, it was impressive. And like when you see our guy basically not get overawed by it at all and, you know, be, you know, you just see, you can see, I, I think he's going to be brilliant for us. He's going to be there for a very, very long time. I've got no real concerns about him. So you know, I'm excited, like you say, about the future as well, because I think the coaching, especially on the defence, has been really good. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of positivity there going forward, even though, yes, we're only seven. We'll all be down in the dumps big time if we don't get a win um, this week. But, um, uh, you know, I think we will. And I think we'll, we'll all be very happy and we we'll, might even pop that bottle of champagne on on um, Sunday night for a victory for the Lions and for uh, Martin and Louise as well. So be great i hope so saul was great not only because he stood up to him a bit but because he kind of towered over him a bit like come on then boy what you got sort of thing like he he has at least four or five inches on him and looks more menacing than donald did donald was like shimmering in reputation but saul was just there physically i was there that that really stirred something Absolutely yeah. loved it. Donald loves the little face mask pull as well. He does it a lot when he's angry. To see Saul get back in his face and do exactly the same. And then there was that. The fact he did it with a smile on his face as well, that's like true psychopath stuff, which I am here for. Not the, like <laughs> I'm going to frown and think like I'm really tough. Like that I'm loving every minute of this moment. And there was another clip where he buried a guy into the floor and then just did like the Alan Iverson step over style and then like shouted in the air. Here for all of that. You can say that, see that through all of his play. When he whiffs on a play, he is there beating the turf and beating himself up. And when he wins on something, you hear about it. And I love it. I do fear that if he absolutely destroys someone, taunting is very much a possibility with him. I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> bored. Until he does it enough that it loses us games, uh, go for it, man. But there, there's also... Just there's there's also crazy. Go on, sorry. I was just going to say, there is also, there's the, there's the technical side, which is he's, when he fails one week, you're seeing him like uh, have a plan to go against it the next week. He's not getting beaten with the same stuff again and again. I remember them talking about this in training camp, but like um, the previous week he was struggling with length. I can't remember who it was against, but he was struggling with length. And again, to reference this Brandon Thorne thing, he was talking about techniques that you can use if you don't have the length in terms of snatch and trap, basically, if someone tries to long arm you where you can pull their hands down. On the Jared Goff interception, which unfortunately we've all seen um, enough times, Donald, that inside move, and Jalen Ramsey getting the pick, he does that perfectly. And it's that kind of side as well. It's, it's a combination of the technical improvements he's making week to week, that he's not getting beaten by the same things. And then, as you mentioned, it's that kind of, confidence almost arrogance and energy which he's bringing and it's definitely increasing um week to week despite the fact we're losing week to week that's what gets me really excited is and, and that that gives me confidence that the lions have lost seven games but this isn't one of these the players are hanging their heads moments i'm seeing the players get more confident even though we're losing games and that for me is a massive difference to 
just kind of our record, which is easy to look at and be like, oh, everyone's throwing kind of throw the towel in. We're going 0-17, nothing to look for here. No, the players are on board and the players are getting more confidence. Dan's just said on Twitch, he did it on the next play against Trey Hendrickson in week six. I don't remember the yeah. play, but... Yeah, no, that was Hendrickson was basically getting the best of him a little bit, and especially with a long arm move. Um, and then I can't remember if it was Floyd or whoever, based on the outside, tried exactly the same move, snatch and trap, and basically it's just where you pull the hand down and put him in the dirt. And it was that it's that kind of thing week to week, which is what. And there's still going to be mistakes, but that is fine. It's rookie year mistakes, not a problem at all. The point is, he's getting better and he's getting more confident and. Like I say, it's it's so fun to watch him bury people and even more fun then when he's kind of up and howling to the sky afterwards in excitement. So Definitely. You were going to say something, Brian, uh, before. I don't know if you remember what that Oh, was. no, I think it's just kind of past now. But I think what was great about it as well, as like you say, is like, you know, he's he's a man already, I think, in a way. Like, you know, he's, he's and he's just going to get bigger and better and stronger and I think it was was it Big V and Jackson were standing around in the clip and they were just letting him kind of get on with it with Donald and then like you know like obviously when people started to run over close to it they were like yeah okay all right lads leave it alone now but they were they were more than happy for him to look after himself in that situation it wasn't a case of all oh, these two kind of you know um, you know more veteran guys coming in to help the young rookie the young rookie was good enough and big enough and strong enough to um, take care of the situation himself. So especially against the best defensive player, if not the best player in the whole of the NFL. So yeah, it was great. And, and like you say, the improvements are there to be seen week in, week out. And um, yeah, he's going to be a leader for us for a very long time. Definitely someone to that we're going to be building this franchise around. So I can, you can definitely see why um, Brad Holmes was so excited a little bit more each week with when you watch uh, Saul play. So it's uh, it's great. I mean, I just love how this O-line's been playing. I know that they are conceding kind of record pressures in the passing game, and that kind of sucks. But Jonah Jackson against LA had his best game as a pro. Uh, Halapulavati Vaitain had his best game of the line against LA. Uh, you already mentioned Evan Brown at centre. Uh, Matt Nelson had his best game as a pro against LA. Like, team is ascending. And I hope we continue to see that through the rest of the season, regardless of, of results. Keep getting better. What was it they said before the season? 1% every day. 1% every day and we'll get there eventually. By the time we get to next season, I mean, we're going to win the league, obviously. So, uh, <laughs> um, Any final words, boys? No, no. All right. Let's wrap this mother up. So next episode is on... Monday, 1st November, is the Eagles review show. Uh, as I mentioned before, there's Michigan at Michigan State on Saturday, and on Wednesday is the Broad Alliance College Football Podcast Week 9 review. I'm sure that that's going to take center stage no matter how it goes. And go Cyan, as I say, because we are neutral on this podcast, despite the fact that Ryan said go Michigan State yesterday. Uh, yeah, this podcast isn't taking a view on this game for fear of hate from go blue or go green guys so go the state of michigan that is not affiliated to michigan state uh um, best team win. <laughs> sorry made the best team win right absolutely it's in michigan state and they've won seven of the last 11 they won the most recent one they have the better pass game and the better running game potentially 
Uh, it's going to be hard for Michigan to win this one, despite the fact that they're favourites. It's, it's going to be crazy game. Anyway, watch party for Sunday's game will be on Discord. It's starting at 4.45 in the UK. So clocks go back in the UK on Saturday night. Game starts at 5pm. Join us on Discord, chat with us along with the game. 12.45 as normal, ET in the States. Socials, Royal Alliance UK, YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Like, subscribe to the channel and whatever you can do to help us out. Much appreciated. Facebook group for worldwide fans run by our very own Ryan. Here's Detroit Lions fans UK one private wide. On the web, RoyalAlliansUK.com. Uh, rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Love you forever. Give you a shout out on the pod. Otherwise, just remains for me to thank my co-host, Ryan. Tom, great to see you, man, for the first time this year. I hope the Thursdays are no longer a nightmare for the rest of the year, and we'll have you on again soon. Otherwise, I'm Matthew Turner. Thank you to everyone for watching, for listening. Uh, we'll see you next time. Let's go Lions, one pride. One pride. One pride. One pride.